Well, I have to say, it's not, um, it's not a very kind thing to do to have someone preach their first time in here after following that, uh, that beautiful song. I mean, I can't really, <laughs> what do you do after that? There's nowhere to go but down. So <laughs> thanks a lot, y'all. <laughs> um, yeah, let me take a second to, um, to reflect on that, that, uh, that God breathes into us um, from heaven. Um, here on earth, the things that uh, he wants us to have, the things he's intended for us to have from the beginning. Um, so thinking about that, um, standing up here at this place uh, to share words with y'all, um, it's really quite humbling. Um, I first uh, came to this chapel in 1994, visiting, seeing friends uh, who were here um, from Texas Tech where I went to school. A lot of folks from the Wesley Foundation have come through here over the years, uh, some famous, some notorious, all really sincere in their desire to be here and follow the path of God. Um, and in the years that I've been here, uh, in my years of study, 1998 through 2002, the years I've been adjunct and now here, I think about the folks that have been here on the platform. Um, Tony Campolo, Viv Grigg, Jackie Pullinger, Maxie Dunham, Jessica Legrone, Many, many, many that I could name. Uh, Dr. Bauer, Lawson Stone, Kathy Stonehouse. Um, and so it feels like a very sacred commission to join this community um, in the classroom, in the chapel. And um, I appreciate that. Uh, the years that I was mentored by Dr. Pohl, uh, who uh, my joy at being here as faculty among y'all is um, bittersweet because it means that Dr. Pohl is no longer here on campus every day. And that's a loss. Um, and so uh, I feel that tug of things. So um, I'm grateful for all the years Dr. Pohl poured into me as a student, as a young mentee, as a junior faculty. Um, we see something really similar in the book of 2 Timothy. You've got uh, the Apostle Paul, who has been working for a long time, doing a lot of things. Um, and this book is generally accepted to be kind of the, the last letter he's going to write. It's um, it's sort of his last words. Back when I was at the Texas Tech Wesley Foundation, we had this uh, weekly thing called the Lunch and Last Lecture. We'd invite folks to come in and we would say, um, if you were going to give one last lecture in your life, what would it be? And we'd all like eat sandwiches and they would share the last thing they would say to people. Which I would hope maybe would not be something you had over sandwiches and chips, but you know, it kind of made it more hospitable. And, you know, that might vary. Like, if someone asked me to give a lunch and last lecture today, it would be different than it would be in 20 years, 30 years. Um, but Paul kind of knows, like, this is, he's in prison. Things are not trending up in terms of his um, possibilities of release. And so these are the words he's sending to his, his mentor. Um, and when I got hired as an adjunct here, and then when I got hired as full-time faculty, I had lots of meetings with Christine Pohl. Um, I call her all the time, probably more than she would like, to say, what about this, what about this? But Christine sat down with me and said, here are things to think about. Here are things to think about as you think about your vocation as, um, as an ethicist, as a professor, um, as a minister of the word. She would say some was very practical, and some was more um, theological-based. You know, remember, remember who you are. Remember your connection to Asbury, what it's meant to you. What are the things that were poured into your life? Um, I have the good fortune of being able to reach out to her whenever I need. Um, Timothy was not going to have that. This is, this is the letter that Paul sends as his lunch and last lecture to Timothy, his beloved son, 
Tim and Paul mentored folks, but this, the letters bespeak a special kind of relationship, uh, years and years of investment. Um, yeah, I realize Dr. Pohl's mentored me for 24 years. That's a long time. Um, and so Paul's poured into this young man for a long time, and, and Timothy's got a great spiritual heritage, and they, they, he talks about it in the beginning of the letter. It's interesting what Paul does. He um, you know, begins the letter, names who he is, his name and as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then he, um, he says, you know, Timothy, here's who you are. And look, here's who your mom is and your grandma. Like, you've got, you've got this great upbringing. Um, you've got this great legacy and heritage of faith that has been poured into you. And not only that, you've got the spirit of God that was poured in by the laying on of my hands. And sometimes it's interesting when you read Paul's talking about what he does in his letters, sometimes he'll say, I did this or I did that. And it's not that he's bragging, but it's like he's drawing attention to the authority that was poured into him and therefore the authority that's being invested in these other people. Again, not as a matter of lording it over folks, but as a matter of look, look what you got now because of all this. Great things are going to happen, hard things. Um, so as you go through the book of 2 Timothy, and we only went through the first seven verses today, I confess I'd not spent a lot of time in 2 Timothy or 1 Timothy or Titus, what they call, I guess, the pastoral letters. Um, you know, I'd look through them, but they're one of the, sort of the three letters that Paul has written to a person and not to a church community. And so it's a different kind of relationship. And in the book of 2 Timothy, Sometimes, like in his other epistles to the ones to the churches, Paul does, not always, but sometimes this, this pattern of, um, he'll talk quite a bit about God, we've got a really good theological foundation, talks about who we are in God, and then more towards the end he'll say, therefore, or so then, and it's this, it's this word, and then you, you start hearing him pour in the imperatives, and um, you know, because of who God is, because of who we are in God, therefore, do these things, and we have been empowered by all the reality, all the theological, spiritual reality that's come in those early chapters. We get empowered for the next things. As somebody who teaches ethics, those are the areas I am drawn to the most um, in terms of interest. I love the idea of how do you go from the theology to the action? What is it about the nature of God that then enables us to move forward with things like practice hospitality, let your minds be transformed by the good of life? Um, well, in the in the book of 2 Timothy, Paul jumps really quickly into these admonitions, into these commands and exhortations, and they flow all the way through the letter. It's about four, chap it's four chapters long. It's not long. And he says things like, um, enduring suffering is one of the big themes in this letter. And that's, you know, that's saying something from a guy who's now in imprisoned. He says to Timothy, okay, I'm here, um, but that doesn't mean I've done anything wrong. Do not be ashamed of me for being imprisoned. Um, do not be ashamed of the gospel I preached that put me here. Um, and do not be ashamed of the work that you've been called to do. So do not be ashamed is a command that goes all the way through this letter, kind of over and over. Um, another one that goes through it is um, be ready to endure the suffering that we may need, to, that we will be called to endure for the sake of the gospel and the gospel words. Um, and that, um, you know, that's, that's something that I think, as I read that scripture as, a, as, a, um, as an American, I'm not sure I really, I'm, I'm certain I do, not, I do not get it. 
Americans are not used to suffering. And I don't say that um, disparagingly of us. That's, that's a blessing. Uh, much of the world throughout history has suffered deeply. Much of the world today suffers deeply. Um, ours are not as common. Um, you know, if we have a headache, we can take medicine quickly. Um, if we're hungry, we can eat at any point. Um, we are usually, not always, but usually housed adequately, well. Um, we have leisure, we have friendship, we have the freedom to practice our faith openly. Um, suffering is not something that I think we have a lot of experience in. Now I say this realizing that there may be folks in, in this room and certainly on this campus who have suffered deeply, very grievous things, and I don't wish even for a moment to minimize that. Um, but as I read through this, I realize that suffering for the promulgation of the kingdom, for the work of the kingdom, is not something at which I have a ton of experience. Um, and so, it can be very easy to uh, gloss over those words and say, oh, well, we're going to endure some suffering and it's going to be okay, you know. What does that mean exactly? And so, in between these commands to endure suffering, to hold fast, to sound teaching is another command that runs through this book really clearly. Um, and in verse 6 where he says, now, always fan into flame the gift that's been given to you. So you've got this command to fan into flame the gift that's been given. And on this side over here, we have the ways in which that's going to happen. Endure suffering, hold fast to teaching, do not be ashamed. And in the middle is this very interesting verse um, that I learned from Dr. Bowers' class years ago was, um, you know, when you see a word, the word for, it's the cause of all these things that are going to happen. So the, the reason, the basis that Paul is able to say to Timothy, fan this gift into flame, and the reason that Paul's able to say to Timothy, you will, you will endure suffering, endure suffering, you will be called to, you will be able to, the thing that knits that all together in some ways is this statement he makes. And it says, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and the discipline of a sound mind. Um, I went through a lot of uh, translations when I was trying to figure out what, I knew we'd probably read from the NRSV, and it's a great one. But I went through, I took notes and brought them up here, because, you know, someone who did her PhD has to have lots of notes about the Greek word and bore y'all with it, right? Um, but I went through lots of translations on these things. Um, the, the translation we read today for fear was cowardice, and that's a good word. Um, Timidity, fear, uh, says for the spirit we've been given does not make us timid. The Greek word um, has a very powerful image behind it. Um, one thing that it really pulls to mind is the idea of being fear-driven. Um, fear is a very natural thing. This is not to say that we don't experience fear. Um, things like fear, physical pain, those things are in our lives for a purpose. They serve a purpose in our lives. Um, physical pain is not something that we should fear. You know, if we pick up a hot, hot pan, we better drop it or else we're going to get some serious damage to our hand. The pain gets us to do that. Um, folks who have lost their physical sensation of pain, folks who have leprosy and have lost sensation in their, um, in their, like in their hands, a lot of times they suffer significant injuries because maybe they'll go to like pick up something and it's sharp and it cuts them. They can't tell because they can't feel it. Um, folks who maybe have suffered paralysis and don't have feelings in certain parts of their body, um, 
might put their arm or a leg or an unfeeling part of their body up against something hot and suffer a significant injury because they can't tell. The pain is not there to say something is amiss. In a similar way, experiences of fear can serve, they serve a natural purpose for us. If we're driving along and we see a car getting ready to run a red light, we become afraid, hopefully. We slam on the brakes. Um, if we see our child about to pick up a hot pan or about to do something dangerous, we fear for them. We run over, we address the situation. Um, but the idea of being, the idea that's being conveyed here is much more, it's much deeper, it's much broader, it's without a focus, it's without an instance. Um, the idea of being fearful in general, being driven by our fears, um, one of the songs that talked about the, the idea of being, you know, sheep being guided by a shepherd, so the shepherd comes along and nudges a sheep here and there. When I read this about being fear-driven, I thought about this image about cattle being driven to market. When you come along and the person who's taken the market drives them along and it, it makes them go. The person sends the cattle where they're going to go. Um, we are not given a spirit of fear that drives us. Um, we are not to be driven by fear. Um, I think this is a really important word for, um, for the church, for our nation, for our world, um, because we're in a world right now that seems to be profiting, empowering itself by the promulgations of fear. Um, we are taught to be afraid of everything and, and, every, everything and, and nothing, actually. Um, you know, as parents, I've got an eight-year-old and a 13-year-old, and it's hard to know how much to fear for them. Do I let them go outside for a moment? Is someone going to snatch them up? Um, do I push them forward into a bunch of activities because I'm afraid that maybe they won't excel? And I'm afraid that if they don't excel, their lives will be worthless. There's fears permeating every part of this enterprise. Um, as a nation, we are taught, we are preached at, not from the pulpit, necessarily, but from other pulpits in our lives. You know, we have other altars that we come to sometimes as Americans and as human beings. And they tell us, be afraid of this, be afraid of that, be afraid in general. Um, and when we experience this fear that we can't quite put, that doesn't arise from something particular, something reasonable, something actual, um, it puts us in a very bad place. Um, Fear, living out of a spirit of fear, out of a state of fear, um, it takes away our entire focus. How can we focus on, on completing the good work of God if our whole self is wrapped up in, some, in, in fears that are grounded in either in nothing or in things that are not of the kingdom of God? Um, so against these fears, Paul... Um, Paul says to Timothy, and, we, and we've read in some of the letters that Timothy may have been a bit prone to timidity, like that's one word that they say with him, but it can be anything with us. Um, whereas Paul is sort of struggles against, with his whole life against the spirit of timidity, this is something that's part of him. I think as a nation, we struggle, or don't struggle as the case may be, against a culture of fear, a position of fear, a posture of fear towards anything and anyone. Um, and against these three things, Paul Against this thing, Paul offers three things in contrast. And it's very interesting the three things that Paul chooses. Like if I had to proclaim this word, 
that would be the last thing my, um, my disciple heard from me, what are the things I would choose? And, and Paul offers up three things that are very interesting and very important. The first one is power. Um, power is just the ability to get things done. Um, and it's interesting, that, that contrasts fear in, in an interesting way because fear can really immobilize us. It can make us feel powerless. It can paralyze us. Has anyone ever read the book Watership Down? It's a great book about rabbits. Thank you. Okay, y'all should all go out and buy it immediately. If you haven't read it yet, you need to do it today. And there's this great scene at the beginning where the rabbits are journeying, and um, they're out in the, in the forest, and it's dark, and they don't know what's going on. And there's a term they use called tharn, and it's where rabbits just, they, sh- they shut down. They don't know where, they, there may be no enemies anywhere, but they are, they're out of their element, and they're frightened, and they just glaze over and shut down. Fear can do that to us. Um, and so Paul tells us, you know, you don't need to, be, to go tharn from fear over something that may or may not be there. You need to hear that the Spirit has poured power into you. We have the ability to do things. We have the ability to make changes. We have been called beautifully, justified by the saving work of Christ. Um, I love Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It says, you know, we have not been, it's not, it is not by, for it is by grace we've been saved through faith as not, um, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. But then verse 10 says, we have been created, we have been created to do good works that God prepared for us ahead of time. So this wonderful saving work, we now get to come out and participate in the work of God. Um, And the Spirit of God gives us the power to do just that. And we claim that together. Um, The second thing that... um, he says, is love. And that can become kind of a generic thing, like, okay, love. But it's interesting, uh, who here heard Dr. Lawson Stone's sermon a couple weeks ago on judges? It was really amazing. One thing I've gotten to do is I drive from Lexington every day, or when I come in, is listen to podcasts so I can catch up on the sermons that maybe I don't get to do. I listened to that like four times. It was amazing. And he said something. He went through these amazing, powerful judges. And then he said, you know, the, the point in some ways, and I, I'm sure I'm not quite getting him right, um, but he said, the, the point of judges in some ways is that power is not enough. And he said it so beautifully. He said, power, power gets things done. It doesn't always get the right things done. And that is the next sort of thing in terms of a spirit of fear. You know, fear is frightening. Like, I remember when I was um, having, my, uh, having my son, I had natural childbirth, and, and my Midwife said, don't, don't let the fear frighten you. And I was like, well, thank you, Captain Obvious. You know, like, <laughs> that means nothing to me in this moment. But she was right. Don't let the fear, don't let what's happening drive, you know, put, don't let it put you off this task you set for yourself. Um, and fear can make us want to just do something, um, you know, when we're sick, like if you've ever had an illness and you, you feel bad and you don't know what's going on and then you go to the doctor and they say, oh, we've discovered what's wrong, it's this. Even if it's hard, sometimes it's reassuring because at least you know. Like, okay, I've got this and I can fix it this way. We have something to focus our energy on, something instead of just a nameless sort of anxiety about what's going to happen, am I sick, am I not well, we have something we can now do something about. Well, fear can be that way. If we're, if we're concerned about 
national security, if we're concerned about our economy, if we're concerned about the safety of ourselves and our homes, it's, it's very comforting to say, this is the problem. It's very comforting to say, this is who I can blame. And if I do something about this, at least I feel like I'm doing something. Um, but that's not, that's not of God. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King did a couple sermons about uh, 1 John 4.18, where he says, perfect love casts out fear. And he says, normal fear protects us, abnormal fear paralyzes us. So back to the power one. Normal fear motivates us to improve our individual and our collective welfare. Abnormal fear constantly poisons and distorts our inner lives. That's really powerful. That's really, really true. Um, we have been given the ability to act, to change, to do, but those things need always to be embedded in the deep, self-giving, non-self-serving love of the risen Christ. If we do not root all the things we do to make change in this love, sacrificial love of the risen, the crucified, the incarnate, crucified, risen Christ, we risk doing worse than nothing. Um, and we see that. Um, all sorts of things about um, who we might blame for um, problems we may have, problems we anticipate. Um, we have to root everything that we do in love. Um, and that leads us to the third thing that Paul says is the spirit that we have been given that is not fear. Um, it's the Greek word I studied in my dissertation. That's one of the things that brought me to this verse. It's, um, the Greek is sophrosyne. I never say it right. Um, but again, I went through all the translations, and um, often it's uh, translated as self-control, self-discipline. Um, the, King, the King James is beautiful. It says uh, a sound mind. What the word literally means is a prudent mind that then leads us to act in concert with that. Um, a, deep, a deep meaning of this word is um, being deeply connected to reality and acting in accordance. Um, and it, it's a combination of mindset and behavior, kind of like if you're exercising or if you want to like, become a, a marathon runner and they, the, the big saying is plan your work and work your plan. That's a similar thing to what this is. You think, you plan, you engage with reality, and then you act out of that. Um, so it's important that our actions, that we, they were powerful, that we act. Support those actions are rooted deeply in the love, the, the sacrificial love of God. Um, and it's important that we are able to look at reality, have a sound mind, and discipline ourselves accordingly. Um, when fear dominates our thoughts and our decisions, um, it can lead to recklessness. It can lead to easy, available, surrogate targets instead of an engagement with real and complex problems of life. Um, if we're concerned that our nation is not secure, it's easy to point to one or two people and say, that's them. That's them. If we keep them out, we'll be safe. Um, and safety is, not, safety is not an unnatural thing to desire. Um, when I studied Thomas Aquinas in my dissertation, he has this beautiful, beautiful continuum of things, of goods. And he says, you know, there are things that he calls natural goods. You know, we need food, we need water, shelter, a modicum of safety. We need enough wealth to kind of live normally. 
whatever that is for us. He calls these natural goods, finite goods, uh, material goods. But he says, but you know, these things are not ultimately what it is we're called to. Um, there are things that are, instead of natural goods, we have supernatural goods. Instead of finite goods, we have infinite goods. Instead of the almost there, we have the fully realized good of the kingdom of God. And when we allow fear to dominate us, we can't step forward into the bigger, supernatural, infinite, final goods of God. I read a book that talked about safety, and it said, you know, wishing for safety for ourselves and for our own people, our children, our nation, our friends, that's normal. It's a material, it's a normal, natural good. Wishing for the safety of others, that's a supernatural good. That's a spiritual reality. You know, wishing for our own safety, it's not bad, but what does Jesus says to the folks? Even the pagans do this, guys. Like, really? Stop patting yourself on the back. <laughs> Everybody takes care of their own. Um, we are called to something much bigger, much broader, caring for those outside of us. Um, as Lawson Stone said in his sermon, he talked about um, power, self-centeredness, curving us back towards ourselves. Well, fear curves us back towards ourselves. And so all we can see is what may or may not happen to us, whether us is personal or corporate. But God, in the very incarnation of crucifixion, God indicates that others, other, is where the truest, deepest form of love is. Okay? Love God. Love your neighbor. The keystones of work for Wesley, for us. Um, and we cannot do this if we are beset and cultivating spirits of fear. If we allow fear to um, pummel itself against us, if we cultivate fear like you might cultivate flowers in a garden, we have to cultivate the other things, the power and the love and the discipline of a sound mind. We can do that. Just like Timothy can do that. We can do that. We, too, have received the gift, maybe not laying on of hands from Paul, but of each other. We have been poured into for years and years and years, and we'll get to the same for others. It's a privilege. It's a responsibility. It's an enormous gift and opportunity. And so I invite us all today, as we think about what's happening in our lives, in our world, to always try to think about, am I, am I approaching this with a fear a spirit, am I being driven by my fears or someone else's fears? Or am I moving forward in power, being driven by the Holy Spirit who gives us power and love and this one of a sound mind? And all God's people said,